I don't need to introduce myself, but I will talk about a little, um, just about uh, how special this is of a chance to get to do this. Um, I don't do it very often uh, anymore, but I do consider it a privilege and a joy uh, just to get to talk with you this morning. So I'll just start with a question. Uh, if, if someone posed this question to you, if someone said to you, what is family? Like your best definition, you know, give it to me, what is it? And you know, what would you say? How would you answer that? It's not a super easy question to answer. We probably would all have one, though. Uh, I was talking to a friend at lunch this week, and I asked him that question, and we ended up talking for 45 minutes. We had to stop. Uh, it, you know, so we were interrupted, basically. We would have kept talking about this subject. Started out with simple answers, right? Just, just pretty, uh, you know, like we've already got it figured out. Well, it's this. It's this. Oh, but wait. Well, now that I think about it, I don't know. Is family biology? I think we know it's more than that. Is it uh, the people who love us? Is it the people we love? Is it the people who care for us, the people we care for? Uh, is family something you earn? You have to earn it. Got to earn it by building trust. Or is it something you're given? Is it something or that you're even born into? So what about, let's get a little more specific. What about this? What about church? What about the kingdom of God? Is that a family? I'm pretty sure that if anyone asked most Christians, is the church a family? They probably, they might say yes, or they at least wouldn't argue with you if you said it was. Even if it was followed by comments that sounded like, but we don't act like it, or something like that sometimes. But what does that really mean? Is it really true, or is it just kind of a really nice metaphor? And so I want to share with you, and we are going to look at, at uh, the Word of God a little further into this, okay? See, so if you have your Bible or whatever ready, um, we'll get into that in a few minutes. But I wanted to share with you a, a time in my life when I experienced family, probably the, either the first or the most memorable time that I spent with a family that wasn't my immediate family. Uh, you know, it wasn't mom, uh, dad, brother, sister. It was... It was uh, you know, I wasn't related to these people. And it, I was about 20 years old, and uh, I'd gone out to Myrtle Beach with a couple of friends, and we were hanging out there, um, being about as unproductive as you can be. We did have some crummy jobs that we worked so that we had 
you know, money to spend. And then we were just, the rest of the time was just trying to have fun, hang out, you know, lay in the sun and just do whatever we wanted to do. Escaping, running away from the, uh, you know, strictures of our hometown and uh, being young, uh, you know, we're still fresh out of, you know, family life rules and all that. So, but it turned out to not be quite as fun as I thought. And uh, I needed out of there, and so I called my, my dad, and he, he got me. I was out of money. And he, had, he uh, rescued me out of there by sending me a bus ticket, wired me a bus ticket. And I rode on this Greyhound bus to Sierra Blanca, Texas, which is about 40 minutes outside of El Paso. And you've probably seen old you know, Western movies where there's a dusty desert and mountains with no trees, just little short dry shrubs, rattlesnakes. Just throw an interstate on top of that and that's exactly what this town was. The main street had stucco buildings. It had a bar that if you were brave enough, you, could, you might walk into. You might not walk out. And I stayed with him. He was the superintendent of, of the school there. I stayed with him about a month or so, just trying to get myself together again. And while I was there, I met someone. I met a guy named Freddie. And he befriended me. And it was kind of interesting because I was obviously not from around there. I was from Lubbock, Texas. And uh, very different from this area down uh, on the border. And so, uh, you know, I didn't look like I belonged. And so, uh, you know, naturally people avoided me. Some did, but not this guy. Instead, he started hanging around. He put up with my, you know, melancholy demeanor. I was sad, you know. I was depressed. I really was. But I wanted everyone to know it. The world's not right, and I was depressed about it, and I let everybody know. He put up with that. He hung out with me, started inviting me really, really quick to his house. And I say his house. This was not, uh, this was not a nice house, okay? It was adequate, okay? It was, you know, it was dusty, and, and it had a, a, you know, it's all stucco outside, that needed repair, you know, a nice swamp cooler on top, which is common in that part of the country. And it was augmented by a couple of refrigerated units, you know, sagging out of windows, just trying to keep different rooms cool, in the, you know. And this was not a house that only housed, housed a mom, dad, and a couple of kids. A lot of people lived in this house. And living in this house was kind of like uh, there were always people moving in and out at all times. There was one guy who had a car, one car, between all of the, all the in this whole family. And it was, it was old, big, long, you know, it was long, 70s LTD long, right? It, and it barely got him to his job where he made some money that he shared with everybody. I started to learn that um, when I entered the house, I would be eating food. 
I would always be eating food. It wasn't a, nah, I'm not hungry. That wasn't an option. I, if you walk in the house, you're hungry and you need food. And so the first time I walked in, mom was making tortillas, like fresh tortillas, and which she did all the time. And I ended up really very soon after that, that moment being invited, I mean this actually, to every meal. It was like an, I was invited to every meal. There was no meal they ate. I couldn't eat with them. And I did a lot of that. I, it was more meals than I wanted to eat with them. And I remember one particular night, I was invited to every party, of course. They had a lot of those. Uh, one of these was uh, at, a, at a, a little motel outside of town. So you can imagine this is a town outside of a town. Now this is a place outside of that town. It's really out there in the desert. I mean, you can hear coyotes and it's just, it's out there. <clears> There's <throat> a little motel that a couple of the people in the family worked, where they worked. And it had a pool. And so it was going to be a pool party. And I'm, I know for sure that we were over the limit of human beings that were could be in that pool legally at one time, okay? But we were out there, and it was a long party, and I, I'll never forget the food. Barbecue originated by cooking meat in the ground. That's what they did. Now, they joked around about it being a donkey. I know it wasn't. It was pork, but they thought that would be funny. <laughs> so they cooked this pig in the ground. And then they carved it up, put it on fresh tortillas, and then dressed it with some peppers that looked, you know, they were innocuous little peppers. They looked harmless, but they had a bite. And that's what we did. We just ate those and swam. And I remember very vividly one moment that really stands out in my memory, and that was an old man who was probably a great-granddad of somebody there who was, who was blind, missing a couple of teeth. And he was singing and playing a Spanish guitar. The sun's going down in the desert. And everybody started singing along. And it was in Spanish, so I don't know if this I'm just singing anyway, because everybody did. And it was such a sweet moment. And there were a lot of moments like that. And there were many times when they said to me, not just Freddie, well, your family, if I had any apprehension about joining in with something they were doing. I wonder if you've had a similar experience. I mean, maybe, maybe it was a, a team, you know, maybe you're on a football team, some kind of sports team, or a marching band. Um, maybe you were in the military. Maybe it was uh, college, your college cohort, or your um, maybe even graduate school, people that you meet and work with. I think about work. 
People are like, well, that's a place of work. The office is one of the most, I think this past year, it was the most streamed show on, on Netflix. The office. So that means people are going to work, and then they're coming home, and they're watching work. There's something about it that, there's something about belonging at work that people really want. There's something about belonging that people need. And there's something about having people that belong to you that people really want. They really need it. Well, Jesus says something, segue, in Matthew, interesting about family. It's striking. You may have heard it a lot, but I really want you to look at it with fresh eyes. It's Matthew 12, 46 through 50. So if you want to look that up, I will read it. Okay. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's pretty striking. That's pretty odd. Now, it could be, uh, you know, that Jesus is waxing eloquent. He, he's, he's making, he's creating another metaphor. Jesus does this a lot. He compares the kingdom to things by saying the kingdom is like, or the kingdom is. Does that in parables. He's a master at that. Is that what he's doing here? Is this a metaphor? They're like my brother and like my sister. Is that what he means? Well, I think it's really important for us, if we're going to answer that question, to look beyond that scripture. We really have to look at the overarching story of the Bible. So let's think here for a moment. Let's kind of go through it. Well, it, it, the Bible is a story from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah, it has a lot of stories in it, but it has an overarching narrative. And it starts in the garden. Well, it starts before that. God creates the, the heavens and the earth and the garden. And, and then there's the creation of humanity, God's way of bringing humanity into being. It starts with Adam. You see, he creates Adam. But then God says, it's not good for man to be alone. The first time he said anything is not good, he had said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very good, this isn't good. He's alone. So he creates Eve. He creates the first family. And out of that family comes more family. And the earth becomes filled with families. And then he promises someone from one of those families, Abraham, that he's going to create out of him a family. And from that family, a nation. 
a whole nation of people that would do what? That would bless all the families of the earth. And then from that people, from that nation, comes Jesus, God's son. And he becomes a fulfillment of that promise. Jesus recreates that original family. And then says what? Go and do the same. Make disciples of all kinds of people in the earth. Teaching them to do what? To live like this. To walk like I do. And then, of course, in the end, we find that it ends in a city that God has created for his people, where we get to be family around him in his glory forever and ever. That's the story the Bible tells. We're probably used to a different version. This is very, very common, this is, and it's, it's, it's true. When we're used to, I was created for relationship with God. But because of sin, that relationship is broken. And I'm subject to judgment. I can't be in a relationship with him because of my sin. Jesus comes, dies, so that my sin could be forgiven. He takes my punishment. And I can now be in relationship with God. And I begin a new life with a spirit in me that starts now and then, of course, goes on for eternity. I get to be with him forever and ever. And, of course, there will be some other people, too, that this happens to. There will all be a big collection of us in heaven. Everything in that version is true. Nothing about that is wrong. It just isn't the full story. It's not the story the Bible tells. It isn't. It's just a lot of true things. No, the Bible is about a God who's in perfect community with himself. It's about a father and a son and his spirit who then create the first family, who create a people for himself. That family's broken, though. And so he rescues us through his son. His son's blood buys us back to him as a people, as the church, as his body. And then we invite others into that family. That is the story of the Bible. And then we live forever and ever, worshiping him in his glory, in relationship with our Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's the full picture. So let's look at Matthew 12 again, just real quick. I mean, at first glance, uh, we see that, uh, you know, the, the, this thing Jesus says, 
These are my brother and these are my mother and sisters. It see, it's kind of, if you read Matthew and you read the whole chapter, it's kind of in a weird place. You know, I mean, like you're reading, you're reading about prophecies from Isaiah. You're reading, there's stuff about blasphemy. There's, it's, and then stuck there at the end of the chapter is, oh yeah, by the way, you are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. And it seems a little arbitrary, but it's not. Matthew didn't write his gospel in an arbitrary or random manner. Even if it isn't sequential, he has got it there for a reason. So let's think about it first. It's like the first of chapter 12, what happens? Well, Jesus is telling people that the, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, that it's really all about him. Then Matthew tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah, in Isaiah 42, that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of that. He tells us that. He's going through the Old Testament. He's telling the story. Then Jesus tells people, and Matthew uh, shares that account with us, that Jesus is the truer Jonah, who instead of being, you know, being in the belly of a whale for, or a fish for three days, is going into the earth for three days. And then rising. And that this generation, he implores them to believe it. Not just that, but the, all of what he's been saying. And then Matthew sticks that bit about family at the, at the end of it. Now that, that's interesting. If you think about it in those terms, in the context that you find it, it does make sense, actually. Jesus isn't just being poetic with his words. The kingdom of God is a family. He means that. It really is. In the beginning, it started as one, and he's restoring it. He's recreating it. This time you're born into it, not with blood, but with water. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises, including that one. So that's really good news. And here's one. If, let's think about this for a second. What is family? Family's a gift. We didn't earn it. And that's why, like, we're not that good at it sometimes. But it's a gift. It's given to us. We can't make it happen. We don't make it happen. We don't have to make it happen. It just is. And it's a gift that came at a high price. It came at the price of the blood of God's Son. So it's an expensive gift that we didn't pay for. And we can't pay him back for it. So God made us family. But now we need to look around and the room here, you can do that literally or you don't have to, you can just come. But let's, let's, let's do that. Let's bring this home a little bit. Look around these, this room. This, the, 
we are family. We've been given this gift. We've been given to each other. If, you are, if your identity is in Christ, do you realize that you belong to the people in this room? And they belong to you. Your identity is also in them. They can't be separate things. So if I belong to you and you belong to me, what does that look like? How does that actually work itself out? Because that is a nice thing to know. Now what do you do with it? Think about your, uh, your natural families or the families you grew up in. Um, now, I understand that there are dysfunctional families, and my family had its share of dysfunction. But let's think about it in just general terms. And, and what do families do? Like just immediate families, what do they do? Well, they eat together. They celebrate together. They cry together. They mourn together. Uh, they support each other. They provide for each other. They teach each other. They spend time with each other. They get annoyed with each other. The longer you spend with someone, the more flaws you will see. And the more time they spend with you, the more of your flaws they see. If you spend enough time with someone, eventually they're going to see you as you really are. Think about your communities. Think about the people in your community. Do we celebrate together? Do we eat together? Do we mourn together? Do we get annoyed with one another? Do we have to forgive each other? Do we have to show each other grace? Do we have to teach each other? The cool thing about families, and the really freeing thing about it, is that it's really great soil for learning, which is really, that's what the life of a disciple is. It's a life of learning. It's a lifelong learning how to follow Jesus. That, that's all it is. And you start that the moment you're around a, a disciple. That, that's when it begins. Well, isn't that what we do in our families? Even when kids are, are young, they're putting on their shoes, we teach them how to tie their shoes. Or we just give up and get them the Velcro kind. We did that for a long time. My son's fine motor skills. He's got them now, but they were lacking. And uh, teaching them how to cook, I don't know, how to make your bed, how to do the most basic of things. That's where that stuff happens, right? You don't really go to an academy for shoe tying or whatever. This stuff happens in, in your home. It happens in your family. You learn even little, like, 
practical things like how to greet someone or how to, you know, manners, things like that. Um, how to clean. How to treat each other uh, with love. All of those things happen in a family. And the more family we become in our communities, the more it happens there. That's actually really good, a really good place for that. Also, a great thing about families is it's full of people who are different from each other. I don't know if this is your experience, but my family right now, my wife, my immediate family, it's my wife, my daughter, and my son, uh, we're different from each other. We think differently. We're different ages. It just kind of happens that way. We have different interests, different music that we like, music we hate, TV shows we like, TV shows we hate, food we like, food we don't like. It's different passions, different skills, different abilities. But we don't stop being family because of that. It's actually a great place to learn. So I can even learn from my daughter. There are times when Channing says, Dad, you're doing it again. You're doing that thing where you try to make every situation okay, lighten the air with jokes. Or, or my son's like, Dad, you're overreacting to everything right now because you're hungry. <laughs> he can spot that immediately. I mean, this stuff happens in families. It also, it can happen in our communities because we're free to give ourselves to each other. Why? Because we already belong to one another. <laughs> we might as well get it over with, do it quick. Let's let people know who you are so the real work can be done. And that's really, really good news. If you think about it, if our families are like that, and we think of our, you know, not, there's nothing like your family, even in its dysfunction. If that's family, the kingdom of God is family even more. Even more. It's got the blood of Jesus running through it. And we're free to give ourselves to that family. Eating together. Celebrating. Mourning with each other. Learning. Teaching each other. Talking to each other. Listening. Serving each other. Supporting each other, being there for each other, inviting others around us, our neighbors, into that family, treating them like family even when they're not, because Jesus treated us even when we were still sinners. 
like we were family, dying for us, giving himself for us. So I'm going to, I'm going to close here just in prayer and just thank God for that and then call myself and all of us uh, to repentance, but really that repentance leads to freedom. If you would join me in praying. Father, uh, it, I know that just being able to call you Father right now and mean it, that's a gift. Because you are so great, so mighty, so powerful. So amazing. But you're also a dad that's crazy about his kids. So Father, I thank you for that gift. And right now, Father, I, I repent and I call my brothers and sisters to join me in that. I repent of withholding myself from my brothers and sisters and trying to protect myself from what I don't, I don't need protection from because you're, you're good and you've given me everything that I need, everything that we need to live like this, to live this Christian life, to live this life in the kingdom. And you're great. I don't have to control situations. I don't have to control my life because you've got it under control. You've done it. And you're doing it. And I repent of fear that I'm going to lose something by giving myself to others. That fear is not of you. Instead, Holy Spirit, pour love into my heart. I don't have it on my own. For my brothers and sisters, and for those people who aren't family yet, and you want us to call them in, you want us to invite them, you want us to treat them like they are, you want to be family with them, you love them. And I know you're going to do it because you're powerful. And I look forward to a life of living in freedom with family forever and ever. Amen.